as you look at the book of Galatians, you have to understand that it was a very different time period that Paul was preaching and writing in than what we see today. Uh, during this time period, at, up until this point, God's plan of salvation and redemption had been revealed to his people, the Jews. And for generation after generation after generation, those people thought they had the sole claim on righteousness. They thought they had the sole claim on God and his forgiveness and his mercy and his family. And they said, we are right with God because we are children of Abraham. We are right with God because we have the covenants, because we have the law, because we have circumcision. And that's what they placed their whole life in. And then something happened when Jesus Christ came and he was killed and murdered on the cross and he rose from the dead, taking the penalty for our sins with him. Suddenly, the Spirit was poured out on the earth. The apostles were filled with the Spirit and they preached the gospel. And as they preached the gospel, one day, Peter was told to go to a man's house named Cornelius. And as he went to Cornelius' house and preached the gospel, this group of Gentiles were suddenly filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Jewish people of the day didn't know what to do. And they said to themselves, well, we can't deny that this thing has happened. We can't deny that these people have fellowship. Let's bring them into the fellowship. But then suddenly there was this conflict that began to arise in the church. There were some who said that, no, if you want to come and be a Christian, if you want to be a follower of Christ, if you want to be forgiven of your sin... You need to first adhere to the law. You need to observe the traditions. You need to observe the customs. You need to become Jewish. And then, after you become Jewish, then you can be a Christian. Well, there was a whole other group of people that said, no, that's not the case. Christ did away with the law. It's over and it's done. And that's what Paul was preaching. As Paul traveled to these different areas, as he traveled to the region of Galatia, he went and he preached the gospel truth to them. He preached that they need to place their faith and trust in Christ and in Christ alone, that it had nothing to do with their works, nothing to do with their ability, nothing to do with any of their merit, but instead it was fully based on the completed work of Jesus. And so Paul establishes a church with that gospel message. Well, a few years later, Men from Jerusalem come in to see the work that's being done in the churches in these areas. And as they come in, what they see is Gentiles worshiping Christ and not adhering to any of the Old Testament law. And they didn't like it. They didn't like what they saw at all. And so these men, these Judaizers, came into these communities of faith and they began to preach, if you will be following Christ you must first follow the law, and therefore you must observe the rite of circumcision first and foremost. And only then can you be saved. And what Paul writes in the letter to the churches of Galatia is that nothing could be farther from the truth. And what we see here in the text of this book is probably some of the greatest gospel truth that you're going to see in the New Testament because it firmly establishes the fact that we are saved by grace through faith alone. In fact, it's in the book of Galatians that Martin Luther was reading when he rediscovered the truth that we are not justified by works of the law. We're not justified by any kind of work or any kind of ordinance or any ceremony or anything. We are justified because we place our faith in Christ. 
One commentary I read describes the book of Galatians as like the Magna Carta of justification in the New Testament. And so I'm excited to work through this book uh, with you, especially because of the culture that we live in. You know, we live in a place uniquely situated in the United States of America where we have people all around us that truly are preaching a different gospel. We look at the LDS church in our community and the LDS church in Utah, and we have to realize that they preach a different gospel. We look at our friends who practice the Catholic faith, and we have to understand and realize they preach a different gospel than we do. And so as we work through the book of Galatians and we work through this wonderful text that the Lord has given us, we are going to see and affirm a few things. We're going to see and affirm, first of all, that what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? What is the gospel that saves us, that places us in right standing with him, that cleanses us of our sin and allows us to have life everlasting? And then two, we're going to see to what extent should we defend that gospel? And as you work through the book of Galatians, you're going to see that Paul has harsh words for those who would detract from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul has very harsh words for those who would lead others astray into some kind of false teaching of what it is to be a Christian. And Paul has to start off this book kind of defending his own position and defending his own faith because one of the things these Judaizers came in to do is they would come in and try to discredit Paul. They would come in and say, well, listen, Paul's not even really an apostle, so why can't you trust what he says? Oh, Paul doesn't know what he's talking about, so you should just ignore his gospel message. Come listen to us. We have your best interests in mind. And so with that kind of context and with that kind of understanding, we're going to jump into Galatians chapter 1. And we're going to spend today looking at verses 1 through 5. And we see here the text says, Paul, an apostle not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me. To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So what we see here in verses 1 through 5 is the typical greeting that is given in an opening epistle. You know, if you study the Bible, you'll eventually find out that epistles kind of have a pattern to them where there is a greeting, there is an, an expression of Christ and who he is, followed by the correction of some teaching that he gives the church, followed by a, you know, practical daily living of how you live your life, and then a closing of the letter. And what we have here is the introduction. And it's so easy to blow by these verses to kind of get to the good stuff. But it's important that we stop and we understand why is Paul opening this letter the way that he is. He starts off right at the back. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Right at the forefront of this letter, Paul claims apostleship. And he does so because people in his community were claiming that he wasn't a real apostle. They were attacking his authority. They were attacking his integrity, trying to pull people astray. And so right from the forefront, Paul says, no, I am an apostle. And guess what? No man made me an apostle. There wasn't a council that got together. 
There wasn't a group of elders at a church that got together who sat there and said, I, I think that we should raise this guy Paul to the rank of apostle. That's not what happened. He said, I was made an apostle by God, our Father, and Jesus Christ. That's who made me an apostle. And I think the idea of what it is to be an apostle is kind of lost in our day and age, especially when we have churches in our country who go around claiming that they have modern-day apostles today. And what we have to understand is that the apostle and the office of the apostle was a very special office. It was those who were commissioned by Jesus Christ to go forth and proclaim the gospel. Now, true, the word apostle literally means a sent one or one who is sent. And so a lot of kind of modern-day churches try to pick up that moniker and say, well, you know, we're going to send people to go carry the gospel. We're going to give them the title of an apostle, and we're going to send them out and do apostle, uh, to do this, this unique kind of ministry. But we have to understand is that when we talk about the apostles and the apostleship as we see in the New Testament, we're not talking about people who were just sent by anyone. We're not talking about missionaries who are sent from a congregation to go preach the gospel in a faraway place. We're not talking about those who maybe are sent from one church to another to carry a gift, a word or encouragement, or just to visit to build the bonds of fellowship. No, when we're talking about an apostle, we are talking about those who are gifted with unique authority in the New Testament to proclaim the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to actually write and record Holy Scripture, to go and heal and cast out demons and perform signs and wonders as evidence of the work of Jesus Christ in this world, that is apostleship. And what we have to understand is that we have no modern-day apostles in our time and in our day. And it's important that we understand that. Because what we observe and what we have in our faith today is a closed canon of Scripture. And what that means is this, is that God has spoken to us through his word. And that there are no new revelations to be made. There are no new prophecies to be made. Does God still speak to individuals today? Yes, absolutely, all the time. But he does so always in harmony with his word. There's no new information that's out there today. And what we have to realize is that part of the reason we have no new revelation of Scripture is because the office of the apostle is now closed. When the original apostles, who were commissioned by Jesus Christ himself, went to do their work, they were given authority, and they recognized that authority in one another. You know, I love when Peter writes about the writings of Paul. When he sits there and says, you know, people try to twist and manipulate Paul's writings, and they're kind of hard to understand, but, man, they do that with all the other Holy Scriptures, too. See, these men understood the authority that they had, and they understood that when they wrote some of these letters, that they weren't just writing letters, they were writing Holy Scripture. And they were recognized as Holy Scripture by one another. That's a unique function of the office of the apostle. And it's an office that today is closed. You know, I stand up every Sunday, and I preach, and I teach from the Word of God. I'm not an apostle. I don't have that unique gifting and that unique authority. That's not what I have. It says that the early church would gather together and they devoted themselves to a couple different things. They devoted themselves to prayer, 
They devoted themselves to fellowship and breaking of bread, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. We have to understand that as we gather together as a body of Jesus Christ, you are not submitting yourself and dedicating yourself to the teachings of Chuck Carter. That's not what we are here to do, but we are here together to dedicate ourselves to the teachings of the apostles as recorded for us in Holy Scripture. And so that's the office that Paul claims. Paul claims that he is an apostle. And some people would look at him and say, there's no way he could be an apostle because he never saw Jesus in his earthly ministry. Jesus, he wasn't one of the 12 disciples. He wasn't one of those following Jesus from place to place to place. In fact, Paul doesn't come onto the scene until after the resurrection takes place, where he is seen as a persecutor of the church. But of course, we know that in the book of Acts, it's recorded for us the story of Paul's conversion, where Paul saw Jesus standing in front of him, commissioning him to go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And see, that's why Paul claims apostleship because he wasn't sent by any church. He wasn't sent by the council in Jerusalem. He wasn't sent by any of those people. He was sent by Jesus Christ himself. And he was given authority to go and carry the word of God forth. And so what we're going to see as we work through the book of Galatians is that there is a huge attack placed on Paul and his gospel. And Paul is going to spend a large chunk of the book of Galatians defending the gospel that he preaches making it very clear that he wasn't taught this gospel by the other disciples. He wasn't taught this gospel by any of the councils or any of the Christians of the day. He received the gospel from Christ and then went directly to go and preach it to the Gentiles as he had been instructed. So first and foremost, Paul says, I am an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The second thing that Paul affirms in this opening to the letter of Galatians is the gospel. He goes in and he explains that it is Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present age. If there is kind of one overarching theme that you could pin to the book of Galatians, it would be the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice. Because Paul is going to go line after line, verse after verse, paragraph after paragraph, explaining to the people of Galatia that you need nothing else but Christ. See, we have a tendency as human beings to try to add to the gospel. Because the gospel in itself is very simple. God seeing us in our sin, desiring to forgive us of our sin, sent his son Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect, sinless life and then gave himself on the cross, dying on the cross, taking the punishment we deserve. And as we place our faith in Jesus, as we believe that he is who he says he is and that he accomplished what he said he accomplished, well, something miraculous happens. Our sin is removed from us and placed onto the cross of Jesus Christ. 
And that righteous, perfect life that Jesus lived is removed from him and placed onto our account. We call that the imputed righteousness of Jesus. Righteousness that came from him, but is credited to us. And all it takes is faith. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that he died in your place on the cross? And do you believe that he rose from the dead? Well, by placing your faith in that simple message, you are saved, redeemed, and forgiven. And that's all it takes. We, however, like to add things to that simple gospel message. Because we feel like we should get some credit. We feel like that we should get a pat on the back, or we feel like we should have to earn it, or at least be able to point to something we did to say, well, look, this is why I'm saved, because I did these things. And it's so ingrained in our nature that we even do it as kids. I remember being in church when I was a little kid, thinking to myself, you know, what if, just like, what if, in order to really be saved, that you had to keep your eyes closed through an entire prayer at least once in church? Like, what if that's what it is? And so I would sit there and just like sweat bullets as, you know, a six, seven-year-old kid. I would think, okay, next time the pastor prays, I'm going to keep my eyes closed the whole time because, like, what if that's it? And so I would sit there and I would close my eyes as hard as I could, and he would say amen, and I would go, oh. And then in the back of my mind, I think, what if you got to keep your eyes closed through two prayers? And then maybe three. And so that's kind of how I saw faith taking place. And that's what we want to do. We want to add something to it. People want to say, well, you know what? You've got to live a good, holy, solid life to be saved. Or, you know what? You've got to go to church. Or you've got to believe the right doctrine on all these different issues. And you've got to do this. And you've got to do this. And you've got to do this. You've got to go make your profession. You've got to place your faith there. You've got to do these things. And the Bible says, no. It's none of those things. Because your salvation isn't something you earn. It's not something you take hold of. It's not something that you grasp. It's not something you accomplish. It's not something you muster up inside yourself. It's not something that you can do. But salvation is by grace through faith and that which is not your own. This salvation that we enjoy is the gift of God by grace. It's just given to us. And Paul is emphatic on that point because these people were coming into the churches of Galatia saying, if you're going to be saved, you must be circumcised. And Paul's response to that and Paul's revulsion to that is he's going to tell the people in the church of Galatia that, listen, you can't accept anything that's added to the gospel. No matter how good it seems, no matter how logical it seems, if anyone comes to you preaching a different gospel other than salvation by grace through faith, you need to kick them out. You need to make sure that they don't have a part of your fellowship because they're not preaching the truth of the gospel anymore. See, we kind of live and operate in our relationship with God and our relationship with the Bible under really kind of five governing principles. And, and oftentimes we call them the five solas of our faith. Okay? They're these fancy Latin words that mean some really important truths for us as we interact with God. The first one we need to understand is that there's this idea of only grace. We are only saved by grace. There is no work involved. There's no merit. You can't earn it. You can't pray yourself into it. You can't attend church enough to get it. Salvation comes by grace. 
It is the gift of God for his purpose, his will, and his good pleasure, and nothing else. The second only is only faith. See, we are saved by grace through faith placed in Jesus Christ. We look to Jesus and we say, he is the one who has saved us. He is the one who has made us right with God. He is the one who sets everything straight. The illustration given for this in the Old Testament is Moses in the wilderness as vipers were coming and biting the people and killing people left and right. And God told them, go put a snake on a pole and look at it. And if you look at it, then you'll be saved from the snakes. And Jesus, so many years later, said, just as Moses lifted a snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And that's what we do. How are we saved? We look to the man on the cross. How are we justified? We look to the man on the cross. We have faith that what he did is enough. And so by grace, through faith in what he has done, the second only is that it is only Christ. Third only is only Christ. And so as we come before, that grace and that faith that we have is placed in Christ and Christ alone. There is no other name under by which we can be saved. There is no one else who has been given power and authority in this world. There is no one else who the heavens say worthy is the Lamb. It is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone who can bring us to God. Jesus said of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one shall come to the Father except through me. There's a million other faiths and there's a million other religions who paint a million different pictures on how you're right with God and how you sew up your eternity, and every single one of them is wrong because they leave out Jesus and his atoning work and his atoning sacrifice. The only name by which we can be saved is Jesus. The next only that we talk about is only for the glory of God. See, all of this has happened, this salvation that we enjoy, this salvation by grace through faith in Christ is all for God's glory and God's glory alone. As we are saved and as we worship and as we praise him, we bring honor and glory to God. And that should be the sole goal of our lives. God did not save us because he had pity on us. God did not save us because he was lonely and he wanted friends in eternity. No, everything is done simply for his glory and his majesty and the wonder of who he is. He did it because it pleased him. He did it because it was his pleasure and his joy to do so, and that's why we are saved. And here's the kicker to all the rest of it, is that the last only that we kind of operate by is only by the scripture. See, we look at the Bible as the sole authority of truth about who God is and what he has done. There is no other authority that we have based on spiritual matters and who God is and the history of his church and what he has planned for us. It's by the word and the word alone. There are all kinds of other faiths that pile other things onto the scripture. You look at some Protestant denominations and they will add to the scripture things like experience or reason and understanding. You look at the Catholic Church, and they will add on to the Scripture the authority of tradition. And we look and say, no, there is no other authority in our lives other than the Bible itself. And what we need to realize is that as we look at different groups of people, if we look at different faiths, if we look at different religious organizations, as they wander away from those five principles, 
grace, faith, Christ, the glory of God, and the celerity of the scripture, as they wander away from those five tenets, they preach a different gospel. And we're going to look at that more clearly as we go through the book of Galatians. But one sensing that you get as Paul writes this letter is there is this frantic, angry urgency that he has concerning these issues. And that's because these issues are serious. Because here's the thing, you can't have part of the gospel right and then sprinkle on some of your own good works and be okay. Now, in fact, Paul in the book of Galatians says, if you add anything on to the gospel, then the cross of Christ profits you nothing. So understand, that means that if you say, yeah, Jesus is great and Jesus is good, but you know what? I also think to be saved, you need to go through the rite of circumcision. You're not saved because you're trusting in something other than the gospel. If you sit there and say, yeah, Jesus is great and Jesus is good and he made a way for me to save, but I also need to confess my sins to a priest, not saved because you're trusting something other than the gospel. You sit in your life and you say, yeah, Jesus is good and he paid for my sins and I'm so happy and excited to that. But you know what? I also have to take communion. Not saved. Because you don't trust in Christ and Christ alone. We're going to see as we work through this text that there are many different gospels floating around in our culture today. And Paul's warning against them is he says, let them be anathema. Literally, what he means is let them be accursed. Let them be cut off. Let them be separated. Let them be cast out. Why? Because they're dangerous. Because as people place their faith in something other than the pure, simple, true gospel of Jesus Christ, they're lost for eternity. The good news for us today is that we have the gospel laid out for us clear as day. And that gospel is absolutely beautiful. I don't have to worry about my merit. I don't have to worry about my value. I don't have to worry about what I've accomplished or what I've built up. I don't have to worry even having a full understanding of all these wonderful things that God has given me in his word. Because the scripture says this. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God rose him from the dead and you will be saved. The scripture says, all those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The scripture says that to whoever believes, it is given to them the right to become children of God. You don't have to perform a laundry list of works. You don't have to go and, and work and strive and toil trying to muster up this salvation for ourselves. No, the gospel says is that you look at the man on the cross. You believe and you trust that his sacrifice is sufficient for you. And that's all there is. You simply believe the gospel. And then, just as Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness, so you believe and Christ's righteousness is accredited to you. Where are you placing your faith today? Are you placing your faith in the works of your hands? Are you placing your faith in some mystic ceremony that's performed at church? Are you placing your faith in your attendance or your membership to a body of believers? Or are you placing your faith in Christ 
and Christ alone. You see, that's the difference. And what Paul is going to go over and over and over again is the fact that we need no other ceremony. We need no hidden secret knowledge. We need no other work to muster up on our own. The only thing we need is faith in Christ and what he has accomplished for us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the grace that you have given us, and we thank you for the love that you have shown us. We thank you, Lord, that you have made the gospel accessible to us, showing us in your word that it is not by our strength, it is not by our might, it is not by our cunning, it is not by our ability, but it is by the strength, power, mercy, and grace of Jesus. He is our champion going before us, defeating our great enemy, sin and death. And as we place our faith in him, we are saved. Thank you, Lord, for all that you have done. Thank you for all you continue to do. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you all in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.